Well, good morning, Heights family, and happy Father's Day to all our dads out there. I hope the day holds for you a, a nap and a steak. Uh, or something like that that would do about the same for you. Sure, glad that you're all here today. You know, I thought with this being Father's Day, maybe we would open with something, you know, a little bit sports-oriented, kind of get the man juices flowing there. And and, and so I was kind of thinking of, of some of the best. What's the very best? And and my mind was drawn to the, the MVP of the Super Bowl, the MVP of the recent NBA Finals, and of course that, that gives us Tom Brady and Kevin Durant. And I mean, these two guys are something else. I mean, when the whole world's hanging in the balance, these are the guys that say, give me the ball. Now Tom Brady wants a little less air in it when you give it to him, but he does want the ball. And man, is it impressive what these guys can do when they get the ball, when they have all that, that pressure on them. It's, it's incredible. As a matter of fact, it's so incredible. I, I don't think we use this kind of terminology, but I think it's very much what's happening. We almost worship them as gods. We, we see in them a, a, a power, an ability, a strength, that, that greatness that, that we dream of having ourselves, that we wish we could have that, be that, be in that spot. But, you know, as we watch them display that greatness, I, I wonder, do, do they say, give me the ball when it's time to be a, a loving, faithful mate? Do, do they say, give me the ball when it's time to raise a child? Do they say, give me the ball when it's just time to pray? Now, I'm not actually questioning Durant or, or Brady. I, I, I don't know, and that's not my point of asking that question. My, my point, actually, my question is for all of us, because like them, while we may not be an MVP for the whole world to know, I think like them, what's true for a lot of people is we'll have a, a place in life, maybe a couple places in life, that, that we feel like we got game. We feel like we can, we can be in control. We can be in charge. Give me the ball. I, I can do that. But at the same time, we'll have places, sometimes more important places, that we feel entirely inadequate. I mean, inadequacy is like the human experience. Everybody, on some level, in some place, feels inadequate. I, I don't measure up. I can't do a good job. And usually what we try to do in those places is not show up to those places. I don't want to take that on. I don't want to be seen in that area. I don't want to be seen as not being able to do it. Inadequacy is a horrible feeling. But it's not the feeling. It's not the experience that God has for you. Folks, what God has for you is a promise that you can. You, you can do it. We're continuing today our, our series on promises. And today brings us to one of the great promises. Maybe one of the most well-known promises in the Bible. Now I said that last week too, didn't I? Uh, but I think Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 last week. Philippians 4, 13. This week I, I think these two kind of tend to stand out as some of the favorite promises in all the Bible. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things. Man, just look at the first three words. I can do. I can. I can do that. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You know, if I'm, I'm being honest, I, I, I use that kind of sports thoughts, sports illustration there. Not really because it was Father's Day. 
But, but because so often when we see, when we think about Philippians 4.13, it's related to sports. You know, it, it's about scoring the winning touchdown, getting the big hit, hitting the basket at the buzzer. I can lead the team to victory through Christ who strengthens me. Matter of fact, I'll I bet you a dollar. I'll bet you a dollar. You go to a local Christian bookstore and say, I, I want a poster with Philippians 4.13 on it. I'll bet you a dollar has a sports picture behind it. So often, that's what we apply to. We, we seem to think, hey, what this promise is about is God wants me to be a winner. God wants me carried out on everybody's shoulders and every, everybody's cheering my name. And I get to win the big game. But, but is that what this promise is about? I, I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying, is that what's going on here? Is that what God's promising? That I end up getting carried out on everybody's shoulders, the, the big winner of the game. You know, I have, you have, we have favorite verses, don't we? Favorite verse, a fa- maybe it's a promise, a, a favorite promise. You know, one really important thing when we have a verse that we like so much is to realize that verse doesn't stand alone. You know, I, I, I just said Philippians 4.13 may be one of the most well-known verses. I, I put it in the top 20. Out of thousands and thousands of verses, it'd make the top 20 of most well-known verses in the Bible. You know what, most, what might be the most unknown verses of the Bible? Philippians 4.11 and 4.12, which give the meaning, give the insight. So whenever you and I have a, a favorite verse, a favorite promise, we need to know where that verse lives. We need to know who it lives with all the time. What's going on around it so that we can understand what's being promised, what's being communicated in that. And so let's, let's do that real quickly with Philippians 4.13. Let's open our Bibles. If you have one with you, open to Philippians 4.13. Uh, as you can see, kind of near the end of your Bible, uh, you'll find Galatians, Ephesians to the left and uh, Colossians, Thessalonians to the right. Open up there. Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. It says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help. Not that I've ever, I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now the letter to the, to the Philippians, the church in Philippi, actually is a thank you letter. Uh, the, the Philippians have, have sent Paul a financial gift. They've aided him in his work and his ministry. And so he's writing this letter back, giving a thank you. Of course, he addresses other things in the letter. But he, he comes to this place here, and as he's giving them thanks for what they've sent, he, he's reminded of another time that they wanted to do something, but they couldn't. Don't really know that the circumstances or the history behind that of, of what was going on. But there was a time they wanted to support. They wanted to aid his ministry and couldn't. And now there's been this time where they could and they, they did. And he's saying thank you for it. But it, it seems like as he measures these two times, it's a teaching moment. And he says, hey, I want you to know something. Because there's a time you're, you're thinking about what you were able to provide. And there was another time you're thinking about what you weren't able to provide. But I want you to know something. I've had all the money in the world. And I've had a time when I couldn't rub two nickels together. 
I've had a time where I've had great circumstances, great opportunities, and I've had times where I've had just horrible circumstances, horrible opportunities. And this is what I've learned. This is kind of like the secret to life. Money's not what enables me. Circumstances, good opportunities are not what enables me. It is Christ that enables me to be and do what God's called me to be and do. And that's what that promise is about. God enabling me to do what He has called me to do. I don't think it's so much about touchdowns and baskets and and closing the big deal. I mean, it might be. It could potentially be. But really what it's about, I mean, folks, think of all that God calls us to be and do. And He's promising you and I that we can. We can do it. I think that's a huge promise. uh, promise in this context have you ever have you ever felt like you were set up to fail i i I hope not many of you have had that experience Uh, i hope only only a few of i don't hope any of me has but i would imagine some of us have felt like that you know a, a coach a teacher a boss put us in some kind of situation maybe they wanted others to see us fail they wanted us to to lose that that spot that position that's a pretty bad moment When you know you've been set up to fail. That's never happened with God. God has never put you in a position to show you can't. To show what a failure you are. To show how worthless you are. That's not how God works. God is, a matter of fact, what's he done here? He has promised that we can. And yet, think how few of us are seeking to engage this promise. You know, I, I said a moment ago, I, I believe inadequacy is a very common human experience. We, we all deal with it, struggle with it. We spend a lot of tri- life trying to cover up our inadequacy so that nobody knows where we're insecure. Nobody knows that I can't do that, that I'm not, I'm not good at that. And I think one area of life we really tend to experience this is in the spiritual stuff, right? The God things? I, I mean, th- think about it. I mean, when you think of following Christ, being a Christ follower, what, wouldn't you call prayer kind of basic to the whole journey? I mean, that's, that's kind of like the, the elementary things, the things of beginning a walk with Christ is, is prayer. This is pretty basic, but think how inadequate we feel in that. As a matter of fact, I, I would dare say in this room right now, watching us online, everybody out there, I, my guess would be 60, maybe 70% of us would feel entirely uncomfortable praying out loud. And I'm not talking about being called up to the platform and being asked to pray in front of everybody. You'd be uncomfortable praying out loud in front of your own family. We'd be uncomfortable having a conversation with a friend and, and, and we're talking about a problem, a crisis, maybe an opportunity. Would you feel comfortable saying to your best friend... Hey, man, why don't we stop and pray about that? No, mo- most of us are not. We're not, we're not going to do anything like that. Why? Because we feel inadequate. If I, if I start praying out loud, you're going to see how stupid I sound. You're going to see that, that I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want anybody to see that about me. And it's not, it's not just an issue of prayer. 
I mean, hey, I, I, I want to believe in God. I want to know God. I, hey, I, I want to be in church. I want, I want this to be a part of my life, a part of my family. But there's something about approaching this building, approaching this group, approaching God. Just a whole lot of it makes us feel like what we can't, what we aren't, what we're not enough of. Realize while you and I are struggling with all these thoughts, God's had a promise out there saying just the opposite for us the whole entire time. And, and yet as we look at the, at the walk with Christ, the, the following of Jesus, so much of it just seems like this massive mountain that's so much more than I am. So much more than me. And so we literally, in following Christ in spiritual things, we just kind of relegate ourselves to the sideline. It's just, a, it's just enough to be here, right? Folks, God... God, God wants us to experience so much. Listen, God wants you to move mountains. God doesn't want you being overwhelmed by the mountain of following Him. He wants you to power right through it. God has enabled, He's promised that you can conquer all mountains in following Him that He's called you to. Now, the operative word there is all mountains He's called you to. It's not a promise that you can climb every mountain. It makes a great song for the sound of music. He has not promised that you and I can climb every mountain. He's promised we can climb every mountain he's called us to climb. You know, just, it just I, I want to show you how, how Philippians 4.13 kind of evolves and runs throughout the entirety of Scripture. This is not just an isolated promise God made, see if you can find it, good luck. No, this is an idea that runs all the way through Scripture on all the places that you and I have a tendency to say that we can't. And I'm starting to think about, hey, what are the things I hear believers a lot of times say, man, I can't, I can't do that. I, I just don't have the ability to do that. I mean, hey, don't, don't we hear a lot? I can't tithe. I, I can't give 10% of my income. Well, I mean, I, I could, but I couldn't do it and pay my bills. I, I couldn't do it and, and, and accomplish the things, enjoy the things that I want to accomplish and, and do in this life, to which God says, oh, yes, you can. No, not, not just, yes, you can give the tithe, but yes, you can, you can give and still do and accomplish and, and enjoy these other things. I've promised you that. Look, look what he says in, in Malachi 3.9. Bring the full tithe, not a part, not your best effort. Bring the whole 10% into the storehouse that there may be enough food in my house. If you read the context, right? It's not one verse by itself. What's the context? It's clear. It's the church. It's the running of the church or in the Old Testament, the temple, the sanctuary. And thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. That's what God's promising. You honor me, you show your faith in me, you obey me, I'll show you a life with no more need. Listen, giving to the Lord does not subtract from your financial ability, it adds God's ability to your finances. Remember a couple of months ago, we, we talked about heaven's math. 100 minus 10 equals 110. You, you end up with God's ability being able to accomplish a lot more, do a lot more. Keep the whole 100 for yourself under the false idea that it's yours and you'll find you'll never quite be satisfied. It'll never quite do what it needs to do. And that's not just entirely a financial statement. Man, there's wealthy people that have more than they know what to do with. They don't ever fear waking up tomorrow morning and putting the bill in the mail. They don't ever fear bills. 
And yet they live with discontent and dissatisfaction and needs that seem to overwhelm their lives. We know other people, don't we? Who, at least by American standards, really have very little. And yet it looks like they really live a, a rich, meaningful, full life. They don't, they don't seem to be overwhelmed and conquered by the needs and all, all that they're not able to do. That's God. That's what God promises. See, it's not my ability, it's God's ability. How do I get God's ability in my finances? Isn't that what Philippians 4.13 is promising? Boy, here's, a, here's another big one. I mean, you go by statistics, 96, 97 of us out of 100 We'll never in our entire Christian journey share the gospel, share our faith with another person. I can't, I can't do that. I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm not going to be able to answer a question. I mean, talk about feeling stupid. I, I'm, not gonna, I'm just not even going to move down that. I don't want to be that guy at work. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be that person. Man, you get rejected. We've got all these things. I don't know that I can handle that. I don't know that I can come up with that. But it's not about your ability. It's about God's ability. What did Jesus say? Hey, listen, when you get into that moment, the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say in that hour. It's not what you're going to do. It's what Jesus, it's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. You know, hands down, going into a moment like that, it, it, yeah, it helps to be a little prepared I think sometimes we build up in our mind what being prepared is. It could take you 15 minutes to get prepared to be able to share something that makes, takes maybe two or three minutes. I mean, yeah, it takes a second to think, okay, what, what verse what might I use? What, what story in my life of, of Christ and what he's done for me? What, how, what might I share there? And, and what ideas? Yeah, it, takes a, it, it helps to prepare. But whether I'm really well prepared or kind of prepared or barely prepared, the bottom line is it's not what I'm going to say and do. It's what the Holy Spirit's going to say and do in that moment. Or how, how about this one here? Gosh, one of the reasons we do not take on a lot in the spiritual life is because we already know we're failures. We already know I'm not doing a whole good job at this Christian. I mean, there's just so much sin that I can't defeat, that I can't conquer. I'm, I'm so overwhelmed by, by temptation. I don't ever seem to be able to resist it. You know, folks, in all of these things, all, all the, the three I've covered so far, if you want to honor the Lord, if you want to obey, if you want to resist, yes, yes, you actually can. Look, look, look what God says. No, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're, you've never dealt with anything that all believers aren't dealing with, that all followers of Christ aren't, aren't trying to work through. God is faithful. That's a promise, isn't it? God, God's not just faithful in general. God's faithful to you. God's faithful to where you are. God's faithful to your situation. You know what it means? In, before the temptation, during the temptation, and after the temptation, succeed or fail, God is faithful to you. So, so God loving me, God staying with me, is not on the line here. Praise the Lord. Because that adds a lot more pressure, doesn't it? But that's not what we're doing. It's a promise. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That's a second promise. I sometimes question God if he understands my ability, right? But that is a second promise. But with temptation will also provide you the way of escape. That's a promise. There's a third promise. That you may be able to... He's promised I'm going to be able to... That's four promises. You know, we've been playing this video leading into the sermon each week about there's 7,000 promises. Where are all these promises that are talking about? There's four right there. 
Four promises of what God is providing for you, wants to be for you, wants to enable you to do in the face of temptation. Now, granted, I have to want the way of escape. And that is a problem, right? I I don't always want the way of escape. I, I want my sin. That's what I want. I want sin. I want what it helps me to do, what I believe it enables. Isn't it interesting how we're really pretty in tune with what sin enables me to do in a moment? Not so quite sure what God enables me to do. And so we, we give in. We fall. We, we take what the sin offers. Afterwards, we feel guilty and say, oh, I can't, I can't do this. Now, in all these things, it takes faith, Right? I, I got to trust God. I got to believe in God. I got to step out there and give or witness or, or resist or forgive or, or all these other commands that seem so overwhelming. It takes faith. And that's where we say, ah, oh, man, no wonder I can't do this. I just don't have enough faith. I, I want to have faith. I, I want to believe. I, I've tried that, but I, I always seem to fall short. I just, I just don't have enough. And Jesus says, poppycock. That's not true at all. I love that word, poppycock. It's not a bad word, is it? I didn't think so. Okay. Look what Jesus said. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed. Now Jesus isn't throwing out the grain of a mustard seed as a standard of measurement. He's not throwing that out there so that you and I will look at it and go, well, no wonder I have the faith of half a grain. No wonder I can't do this. When he throws out the grain of a mustard seed, it's not a, it's not a standard of measurement. What he's, what he's doing is he's putting into their mind what everybody in that culture and community would have known is about the smallest thing they could imagine having in their hands. About the size of a grain of, of sand. I mean, probably in our day and age, we would say, if you have the faith the size of an atom... Right, we, we, we can see beyond now just what, what fits in my hand. But that's all he's doing here is he's throwing out the idea about the smallest thing you can possibly imagine. The point being, the issue is not how much faith you have. If you have any, you can move God. If you have any faith at all, God will move. And you'll be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there. And dang, if that thing won't move. And absolutely nothing will be impossible to you. Is that, is that not right out of Philippians 4.13? D- do you see how every one of these things draws us back to not your ability, but God's ability? Not what you have the wisdom and the strength and the spirituality and the goodness to do, but what God has the ability to do through you. Folks, in no issue is the problem what I can do. The problem is not that I can't do it. The problem is that I won't do it. The problem isn't that I can't have faith, it's that I won't have faith. Yeah, I'll give. I'll give when all the bills are paid. I'll give when everything I can possibly imagine wanting is, is I know how that's all going to be accomplished. And then when I have something left over, then I can do it. Yeah, I'll share my faith when I know that I'm going to be able to answer the questions, when I know that they're going to be accepting, when I know it won't cost me anything. Yeah, I'll step out there and volunteer and be a part of the team and make a contribution to the work of God as long as I know that I'll be good at doing it and and everybody will look up and applaud me. I mean, folks, you know what we're doing in our Christian life? We're setting up a scenario that requires absolutely zero faith. I'll do anything and everything that God wants me to do in my power, in my wisdom, in my ability. Now, granted, I don't feel good at any of it, which is why I end up doing none of it. 
Folks, do you, do you realize God's not looking for your money? God's not looking for your witness? He's not looking at how you can stand toe-to-toe with Satan and resist temptation. God's not looking for your power and wisdom. You can do all of those things and not even make God shrug his shoulders. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's why Jesus says you can come in here today and give a million dollars. And if you do it without faith, if if giving that million dollars doesn't require you to depend upon God, then it doesn't make a dent. Somebody else can come in here and throw 50 cents into the plate. And man, now they've really got to depend upon God. That's what pleases me. Folks, the issue is never an issue of we can. It's the issue of we won't. That's the real problem. That's actually kind of actually another sermon, isn't it? But what I want to say to you today, what this promise says to you and me today, is that if our won't, excuse me, if our can't uh, is, is being, how am I wanting to say this? If our won't is being dri- driven by the belief that we can't, the good news is, yes, we can. God has not anywhere in the Christian life set you up in, to fail. God has never had a command to leave his mouth to show what you aren't. He's promised, he's guaranteed, you can. You will not come up short with me. You will not fail with me. Depend upon my power. Now that ought to bring every believer flying out of their seats with excitement. Finally a place I know I can. Finally a place I never have to fear failure. And what do we do? Ah, yeah. That's, that's good news. I should probably do that. <laughs> what? God, it, it, isn't it enough that I'm here today? Enough? I, enough what? what? What enough are you talking? Folks, God wants for you the experience of literally moving mountains. And we're going, isn't it enough that I'm here God wants for you the experience of not being able to check off all the rules that you obeyed. He wants you to enjoy and experience the power and the knowledge and the security that comes with living a holy, devoted, obedient life to Christ. It's your gain. It's your gain. It's not what you're doing for Him. It's not what you're giving to Him. It's not what heaven now has. No, it's, it's what he does through you. Boy, folks, we've got to stop lying to ourselves about the Christian life and, and what I'm a failure at and, and what I can't do. God has said, yes, you can. Let me ask you a question. What will you not do for the Lord? Now, I know that's not usually how you and I phrase things. Well, here's a, here's a list I've made of things I will not do for God. But there are guessing for most of us in here, there are things we're not going to do for the Lord. I'm not going to be a witness. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to step out and and become a part of the team and and really see where I can contribute and serve and and minister. I'm not going to go out there and really make it clear who I've identified my life with. It costs to do that. Why will we not do these things? Because I'm not good enough. Because I'm not holy enough. Because they'll see that I don't know what I'm doing. Because I won't make a difference. Because I have nothing to... You know the operative word here in every one of these things? 
I. There is nothing in your life that you won't be for God, that you won't do for God, that you're failing at, that is not a basis of I. We're trying to figure out how to live the Christian life in our power. And nowhere did God call us to do that. He's, he's not even interested in what you can do in your power. Oh, but boy, does he get excited. And boy, is he incredibly interested in what you can do trusting in his power flowing through you as you live life in Christ. That's what he wants to see happen is you and I to live in him. Now, that, that kind of brings up another question. <laughs> how, how do I live in Christ? That's actually like a whole other sermon, isn't it? Now, no, I'm not starting a whole other sermon. But, hey, just two quick ideas. If I'm going to live life in Christ, the first thing I've got to do is be in Christ. You know, you and I are not born in Christ. We don't show up on this earth in Christ and then somewhere make a mistake and now I'm no longer in Christ. No, we're not, we don't even begin life in Christ. You're not in Christ because you pulled onto the lot today. You're not in Christ because your uncle's a pastor. That's my favorite one. I have like 13 nieces and nephews. Think what, what they get to call me their uncle. Not a thing. That does not mean you're in Christ. You know what the Bible says? It actually says that we're dead to God and we're alive in sin. We're dead to God and alive in sin. So somewhere in the course of our life, it might happen at the age of four, it might happen at the age of 74, but somewhere in the course of our life, Jesus said, John chapter 3, don't take my word for it, go read it, John chapter 3, Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Otherwise, you're just marking time till your, your spiritual death becomes eternal physical death. He said, you've got to be born again. Well, how do I get born again? The scripture says when I turn from my sin and I turn from myself and I make Christ the joy and heart of my life. I, what he did for me at the cross, what he did for me in the resurrection, that's my faith, that's my hope, that's my life. In that moment, I am born again and I'm now eternally living in Christ. God has promised I can't do anything to mess that up. I'm in him now. That's what Jesus does for us. So the first thing I've got to do to live life in Christ is I've got to get in Christ, which Jesus provides the way for that. And if you've got any questions here today, any doubt in your life about whether you're in Christ, about whether you've been born again, please, please, let today be the day that changes. Ask the Lord right now, Lord, is that what needs to happen in my life? And as we leave here in a moment, as we go out these doors, right in the center of our concourse, there's a desk back toward the window, some folks standing behind it that would love to talk with you about how that can happen right here, right now. Just walk out there and say, could you tell me about this born, thing, born again thing? Let that happen today. Move your life into Christ and access His power, His wisdom, His security, His love for you. Now, once we're in Christ, then we've got to follow Him each day, right? How do we follow Him? Well, we stop. Does this look kind of familiar? Yeah, a couple of you stop. We need to pray, we need to read, we need to listen, and we need to watch. And after we've done those five things, we follow. Want to know more about that? Go watch last week's sermon. <laughs> That's what last week is all about. Remember what God was going to do? He was going to make straight the what? The path. What's my job? To follow God on the path. To follow Christ. Every day. Every single day. There's the path. And God's promised... You live in my strength. You will never fail on the path. 
I have no path for you. Not tomorrow on Monday, not, not next week on Thursday. I have never laid a path before you that was for the purpose of showing what a failure you are. No, in Christ, I can, you can, we can do all things. Man, folks, we should never look at following Christ and be overwhelmed with our failure. We, we should never look at following Christ and just be left with the thought, I can't do that. What you and I should be beginning every single week thinking is, man, what am I going to do for Christ this week? How am I going to live greatly for Christ this week? Let's be honest, we're inspired by greatness. That's what Brady, that's what Durant, that's what uh, Justin Thompson did for us yesterday. Lowest score in U.S. Open history for a single round. We're inspired by greatness. It's amazing how many things humanity seeks to be great at. It just ultimately don't count for that much. You and I have a chance tomorrow to be great at something that can count for all eternity. Isn't that what we should be gathering on Sunday morning, excited about, asking prayer for, sharing with one another? Hey man, here's how I'm hoping to be great for Christ this week. This is what I'm hoping the power of God gets to move through my life. I'm scared to death. Would you pray for me? Because God has a promise for that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. In a world that seems to be after our inability, in a world that seems to thrive on where I fail, God, I thank you that in you, failure never has to be the experience. You have promised me. You have promised us in all things, every single thing, whatever it means to follow Christ today, whatever it means to obey you today in finances, in relationships, in spiritual things, in going to work, at school, and playing a game. Oh, gosh, it actually could be about scoring a touchdown. God, when I seek to step out there and to be what you've called me to be in that, to do what you've called me to do in that, I will not, we will not fail. Thank you for your promise. God, thank you for not, gosh, thank you for not making the success of this dependent upon me. May I trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.